recap like really fast and then we're going to jump into what we're actually going to talk about tonight. First off, we are actually looking at, during this series, the last week of Jesus' life here on earth. So the whole week that he lived before he died is what we're studying. We're going to be on specific days tonight, but in that week we're looking at all of these days right here. I mean, we're studying all of these, Sunday through Sunday. So eight days total we're going to look at at some point in some way. And last week we talked about Monday and Tuesday. The week before that we talked about Sunday, which is called Palm Sunday. It's where Jesus came in to Jerusalem. Last week, anybody remember what we talked about last week? What are we talking about? He cursed the tree. Yes. He cursed the fig tree. And the fig tree was kind of representative of people. Yes. So we talked about this whole fig tree thing, which happened on Monday and it happened on Tuesday. And then tonight, we're going to talk about Tuesday again, because there's a lot that happened on Tuesday and Wednesday some. So... Tuesday, Wednesday, those are the days we're on tonight. And by the end of this, we'll be at Easter, which many of you have probably heard the story of Jesus in Easter, where Friday he dies, and Sunday he comes back to life, makes a way for us to know God, conquers sin, conquers death, and makes a way for us to be saved, to have salvation, which is why we say, have you been saved before? It means, have you accepted Jesus? Have you understood that you are never going to be good enough to know God, and that you had all your sin taken away at the cross that happened on Friday, but then Jesus conquered it all on Sunday when he actually rose again. So that's where we're going, but tonight is Tuesday and Wednesday of this week. So, a couple things I need to do, okay? Tuesday and Wednesday have a lot that go on, so we're not going to be able to talk about all of it, but I wanted to just let you know about a few things that happened. Kind of general, in general, this is what happened Tuesday and Wednesday. Um... So, here's a few things that generally happened, okay? On Tuesday, Jesus is kind of all over the place, teaching and talking to people. Um, remember, this is his last week on earth, and he knows this is last week on earth. So he's being really strategic, and he's, everything he's saying is on purpose. And so he's going around, and he's talking to a lot of people in Jerusalem. He says a lot of different things. Some of those things is he talks about taxes, um, the... Uh, Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked him about, hey, what should we pay our taxes? And he tells them to give to Caesar what is Caesar's. We're not going into all what that means, but he talked about that. He talks about the greatest commandment, which we talk about in here all the time. Can anybody quote the greatest commandment? I only see one hand. Blake, what is it? That, that's the second, which is like it, but not the first. Anybody? Anybody? Beth? Love, well that's a paraphrase, but yes, love God. Can anybody actually say the whole thing? Yeah? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul. Yes, that's it. So it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That is the greatest command in all of the Bible. And Jesus actually tells us that, which we learn in the beginning is in the Old Testament. And he just resays it. And then he adds to it what Blake said, which is love your neighbor as yourself, which is another part of the greatest commandment. So um, he tells that. And we could talk all night about that, but we talked about it before, so I'm not going to teach on that tonight. But that happened here on Tuesday. He also talks about Armageddon. Anybody seen the movie Armageddon? Yeah, okay. 
we're not talking about that Armageddon, where there's a comet coming to the earth. But we're talking, we are talking about the end of the earth. We're talking about this huge war. We're talking about the end of the world as we know it. Jesus talks about it a little bit, and he talks about when he's going to come back. He does this on Tuesday as well. So he says a lot of things on Tuesday, okay? It's not like he just summed it up really quick in a sentence. These were big conversations. These were had with lots of different people. So that's Tuesday. Wednesday. Here's a couple things that happened on Wednesday. Jesus shares a meal with the disciples in Bethany where a woman pours expensive perfume on him. That's a whole story where there's this expensive perfume that this, this lady pours on Jesus and all the guys are like, why did you waste all that perfume? You could have sold it and made money and gave it to the poor. But Jesus says, no, that's actually good what she just did. We're not going to go into that tonight, but that's something that happened. It's a cool story. Check it out. Read it. Um, The other thing that happens that's worth noting is Judas makes a deal with the priests to betray Jesus. Now, a lot of you maybe have heard this whole story. Judas eventually is going to betray Jesus. He's one of the disciples. He's one of Jesus' like homies. He's one of his posse. He's one of the guys that roll around with Jesus all the time. And he eventually betrays Jesus and turns him into the people that are going to kill him on a cross. And he does it all for money. And so that first step in that happens here on Wednesday, in this last week of Jesus' life. So those are some things that happened on Tuesday and Wednesday, but we're not going to talk about any of those tonight. But I did want you to get one big theme that's kind of throughout the whole week. It happens on Tuesday, it happens on Wednesday, it happened on Monday that we actually talked about last week, and it's going to keep happening And the big theme throughout the week is this. The priests and the teachers of the law, which are the Pharisees is another name for them, the religious people, they were looking for a way to arrest and kill Jesus the entire week. We'll read story after story and you'll hear the same kind of phrase, which is the priests were looking for a way to arrest and to kill him. It happens over and over and over again, but they never do it because they're afraid of what the people will do. They're afraid that the people are going to get ticked, that they arrested Jesus, and they'll start a riot, and it'll be this big deal. So they never mess with him, but they're always looking, constantly looking, which is a big reason why Jesus talks about all these things that we just talked about, about the taxes, about the greatest commandment. People are asking him questions, trying to make him look like an idiot so that they can arrest him for being blasphemous and saying something against their religion. And then once they arrest him, then they can turn him over to the Romans, and the Romans can kill him. So that's their whole goal in this week, because we keep seeing it pop up again and again and again. And we're going to see it pop up in our story tonight. But with that, I wanted to ask you a question. What would you do if you knew from like today until next Wednesday, that was your last week to live? Like next Wednesday, you're done. You're gone. What would you do in this last week of life is my question. And I actually want you to answer it in a real short like sentence. I want to know what you would do last week on earth. What would you do? Help those that need help. Be the best person you can be for God. I like it. What do you think? Donate all your money to charity. Man, you guys are good people. Yeah. Tell everybody that you love them, that people that you love, yeah? What you think? Go skydiving. There we go. There we go. Jump out of a plane. Yeah. Yep. 
a bunch of money to charity. And what was the last part? Play in the Super Bowl. All right. That would be fun. Yeah. Yep. Find a car, drive it off a building, and what? Go out with a bang. So if you knew you were going to die on Wednesday, you would just go ahead and end it, I guess. All right? Red shirt. You would bet on the lottery. You'd win the lottery. I don't know how you would guarantee that, but okay. I like it. Yeah. Yellow. You would what? Go hiking in the Himalayas if you knew you only had a week left to live. Okay? Yeah. At the end. You would what? Ride a giant mantis? Like the thing in the ocean? That thing? That would be cool. Yeah. Eat as many pancakes as possible. Yes, ma'am. Go scuba diving. Yeah. Go skiing. Yes, you, you. Become the ruler of the world. I have no idea how you would do that, but sure. Yeah, in the back. Yep. Donate everything you have to charity. That's cool. White hat. Yeah, Courtney. Go on a cruise and marry an Australian. All right. Yes, ma'am, in the back. What? Something with your mommy? Spend time with your mommy? Okay. Last one in the, I, can't, I think it's maroon, maroon shirt, burgundy shirt. Yes, burgundy shirt. What? Buy a tiger. Nice. Okay. No more, no more, no more, no more. No more. Um, I'll tell you what I'd do, okay? If it was my last week on earth and I knew it, I knew when I was going to kick the bucket. Um, and I thought about this because I knew I was going to ask this question. So I, I have an unfair advantage. I got to think about it beforehand. But I would uh, go cross country um, on a moped and see if I could make it by the end of the week and, and try to make a few stops here and there. Um, like one of those dinky little mopeds, you know, like a scooter. You know what I'm talking about? With the helmets and just kind of... <laughs> ding, ding. And just go cross country in that thing, it would be awesome. I would make headline news and I would get to meet a lot of people. Um, I really wouldn't do that. I, I can't think of a good thing, really, as far as what I would do. I would definitely want to hang out with my wife and my kid. And I don't know what I would do with them. Maybe if all three of us could skydive together, you know, like have Cooper and then my wife and then me and then another dude with a parachute. I don't know if they make parachutes that big, but that would be fun. But here's the thing. Here's why I asked this question, okay? Here's why I asked this question. Jesus knows everything. So not only does he know when he's going to die, but he knows when you're going to die. He knows when I'm going to die. He knows all that stuff. So he definitely knows when he's going to die. And so when we're looking at this week, 
Sunday through Sunday, these last eight days that Jesus is on earth, we've got to know that everything Jesus does in this time is important. Because he knows he's about to die. Like if we knew we were about to die next Wednesday, we would do things that were important to us. We would donate to charity. We would tell people we love them. We would do things we've never done like skydive. We would try to do things that were important to us. Shh, you don't need to talk about it anymore. Shh. And so Jesus is doing things that he knows are important before he leaves. Because he knows when he's leaving. So when we're talking about these different days, I just wanted to remind you that this is his last week and he knows it. And he's God. So it's important what he's doing and what he's saying and why he's saying it. And so when we look at this story tonight, just remember, keep that in the back of your head. Jesus knew he was about to die at the end of this week. So he's saying this for a reason, and it must be really important. And so on Tuesday, Jesus tells a parable that actually helps explain what is going to happen to him later in the week. This story kind of is like a foreshadowing. It's kind of like a uh, fortune cookie coming true sort of thing. I mean, this like, he's telling a story that's going to really happen. And we find it in Mark chapter 12. So if you, if you got your Bible, we're going to be in Mark chapter 12. I'm going to read it from mine, but it'll also be on the screen for you. And again, Jesus is being questioned by the Pharisees, by the religious people. They're asking him a lot of questions to try to trap him so they can arrest him and then what to him? Kill him. That's what they're trying to do. So they're asking him these questions and then as he's answering, he goes into this story, okay? And this is what it says in the beginning of chapter 12. Jesus then began to speak to them in parables, talking to the religious people. A man planted a vineyard and he put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit from the vineyard. But they seized him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another servant, and they killed this one. He sent another and some of them, they were beat, and some of them were killed. They had one left to send, and it was his son whom he loved. He sent him, last of all, saying, they will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him into the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read the passage of scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, and so they left him, and they went away. So we see the story of this vineyard, and this landlord, and these farmers, and then there's a son in this story. And this whole story is painting this picture. 
But before we get into the picture of pain, let's break down some of these pieces, okay? In this story, the farmers are greedy and thinking only of themselves, okay? These are the people that have rented this vineyard from this landlord, okay? This guy made this nice vineyard where you can grow, um, grow things to eat. He rents it to these farmers. They take it over. The landlord moves somewhere else, okay? So these farmers have this really good thing, this really awesome thing that was given to them by the landlord. So then he starts sending servants. The landlord sends servants to these guys, to these farmers, to just have some of the fruit that's coming off of this vineyard. But they beat or kill all the servants that come to to visit these guys. To actually take what is the landlord's anyway, when they come to get it, they get beaten up or they get killed. So I don't know about you, but if I'm the landlord, I'm going to get frustrated at this point. Um... I'm going to get a little upset at these guys. But he keeps sending servants. He sends multiple servants. Even though some of them are getting killed, he keeps sending servants. He keeps trying to reach out to these guys and keeps trying to get this fruit. But he's getting nothing. He's getting beat up servants and dead servants. That's all he's getting. So eventually he gets it all the way down and he sends his son. I mean, that's the only person left maybe. I don't know. But he eventually sends his son because he feels like the son will be respected by these guys. They'll listen to my son. If I send my son, they'll, they'll back down. They'll stop doing these ridiculous things. They'll listen to this guy and they'll give this guy some fruit. He's my son. I love him. But they send him and the farmers even kill the landlord's son who he loved. Now it makes a point in here to actually say the landlord loved his son. So it's not like just you know, the son that the, the landlord doesn't like. He's like, I'll send this son. This is the one that gets on my nerves. He's the one that eats all the cereal in the morning when I wake up and I get up and there's no Cheerios left. And I'm ticked. So I'm sending him. Hopefully he'll get beat up or killed. That's not how it is, okay? This is the son. The son, he loves this son, okay? This is a good relationship with a father and a son. So he sends this guy, his son, to the farmers and they kill him. Hold your questions, all right? So they kill this guy. Again, if I'm the landlord, I'm ticked, okay? Not only have, his, have these guys killed my servants and beat them up, but they just killed my son. And so the landlord kills the farmers and gives the vineyard to others. Now, when I read this story, I'm like, absolutely he kills the, the guys. But sometimes you can read a story like that and be like, oh man, that's pretty harsh. I mean, he goes and kills these guys. But I read it now and I read it a little different because I have a little baby son now. So I think of him and I'm like, what if I sent Cooper to somebody's house and they killed him? I would get fired up. I would get bazookas. I would get AK-47s. I would get a bulletproof vest and a helmet and I would go over there and I would just You mess with my boy. You mess with my son, you hurt my boy. Now I'm going to hurt you. I would get fired up. I would take names. I mean, I would just wipe them out. And so this landlord maybe doesn't roll up in there with a bazooka, but he comes in there and he kills these guys. Death came to these guys because they killed his son. 
because they rejected his son. So this is, this is like a pretty intense story. I mean, if you made this story into a movie, there's a lot of people dying. This is like a rated R movie. Lots of death. Lots of blood. So this story, though, is not just about the story, okay? It's not just about, like, Jesus, when he says a parable, a parable is meant to teach us something. It's meant to show us something. And so this parable, the story, is a picture of God sending Jesus and people's response to him. Now remember, who is Jesus talking to? You can answer this. The priest, right? That's who it's directed at. He's directing this at the religious people. He's talking to them, telling them this story, and it's directed at them. Now, the, in this picture, we see a landlord, and we see a son. And we see that this landlord loves this son, and he sends this son to a place. That sounds an awful lot like something else. Anybody ever heard of John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, right? So, this sounds a whole lot like God and Jesus. And this story is painting that picture of God sent Jesus into the world for you, for me, for the people then at the time. But the religious people at the time were trying to do what? They were trying to arrest him and kill him. So when he's telling this story, he's telling it about himself and about his father who is God. And what the people are trying to do is kill him, just like the farmers killed the son of the landlord. So the story was directed at the priests because of their actual response to who Jesus was. Because they were treating Jesus like a criminal, and because they were trying to arrest him and trying to kill him and trying to embarrass him and trying to trap him, Jesus directs this at them because of their response to who he is. But the thing is, it's not just directed at them, because the cool thing about the Bible is the Bible works all of the time for all of us. So it's not just for people who were around 2,000 years ago, it's for us too. We can read it and apply it directly to us. So not only is he talking to the priest and to the lawgivers back then, he's also talking to us. Because how many of us, our response to Jesus is not necessarily that we kill him, but we reject him. Or we turn our back to him. We ignore him. And so we can apply this story to us, not just the priests back then. So we have a choice in how to respond to Jesus. God gives us that choice. It's part of how he loves us. He loves us enough to be able to offer us this awesome gift of Jesus, this sacrifice that he eventually gives for us. He gives us that choice of saying, yes, I accept that, or no, I don't. One way I've always thought about this, because sometimes I've, I've heard people ask this question, you know, how, well, how does the whole, like, salvation thing work? I mean, Jesus forgave us, but we have to believe in him? I mean, why, aren't, why don't we just go to heaven when we die? Well, it's kind of like if I gave you a present, right? I, gave, I, I held out this present, it's wrapped up, it looks awesome, it's like whatever it is you're really wanting in it, and it's... it's it's fantastic, okay? I mean, I did an awesome job wrapping it, okay? It's got sparkly paper and bows all over it. It looks nice, okay? So I'm holding this gift out to you, right? 
And I'm like, I got you this gift. I've already spent the money. I've already sacrificed for it. I've already got it right here, packaged up, ready for you. It's got your name on it. Here it is. And I could hold it out all day long, right? But if you never take it, do you ever get it? You don't. Have I already given it to you? I've given it to you. I'm holding it right here. All you got to do is take it. So you just have to reach out and grab it, tear it open, and, and claim it. It's yours. I got it for you. It's the same way with Jesus. He's already been given to us. God has already sacrificed him on the cross. That's why we celebrate Easter, because he rose again. And that power, that conquering of death and conquering of sin that Jesus did for you and for me, God is, is just holding it out there, waiting for us to take it. Some of you, a lot of you in here have taken it. You've realized that. You've taken that gift. You said, yes, this is gracious. This is, this is love. This is mercy. This is Jesus. I, I accept this. This is what's going to save me. Not me, but Jesus. There's others of you that God's still just holding out there. It's got your name on it. He's waiting, but you haven't grabbed it. You haven't accepted it. You're still trying to be good. Or you're still trying to just go to church enough to where you get to heaven. None of that stuff's going to work. No matter how many nice things you do or good things you do or money you give away, that's not what saves you. It's only Jesus. And so we have a choice. We can respond with embracing Jesus and we can respond with accepting him or we can reject him, turn our back to him and not take him. But it's up to us. It's up to you, it's up to me, and it's the choice God gives us. He can hold Jesus out all day long for us. He can remind us of who Jesus is all day long. You can come to revolution every week, and you can still never really accept him. And he leaves it up to you. And so my question to you is this, from this story, like the farmers responded to the son, they killed him. And they died because of it. They're, the result of rejecting the son is death. The same way it was for the farmers, it's the same way for us. If we reject Jesus in this life, at the end of the day, when we die, that's it, man. Game over. There's no living eternally with God. There's no heaven. There's no real life. But the awesome thing is when you accept Christ and you start to live for him and follow him, you get to really experience life now and forever when you die. It doesn't mean your life is going to be awesome every day of your life here on earth. But it's a whole lot more the way God intended it when you know Jesus. So how are you responding to Jesus in your life? Now, there's a couple of different ways I mean this question, okay? There's one of, okay, Jesus is being held out to you. The gift of grace and salvation, God's holding it out to you right now. Every one of us, he's holding it out to. And some of us have accepted it and some of us haven't. So there's that response, the salvation response, the accepting of who Jesus is, crying out to be saved, to be justified before God and to be able to have a relationship with God. But then there's another response, and a lot of us that have accepted that, on a daily basis, we aren't accepting Jesus. 
as far as how we live and what we say and what we do. You might have accepted salvation and you know Jesus is who he said he was and you're going to go to heaven when you die and all that and that's great. But Jesus wants you to live now. He wants you to follow him now and he wants you to live for him now. And some of you need to stop turning your back to him when you're at school or when it's convenient or when somebody's going to make fun of you or when it's hard at school or when you're having a tough conversation with a friend or when you're having a, a hard time with your parents. That's not when you turn your back on Jesus and you reject him. That's when you respond to him, you embrace him and you try to live like him and you try to follow him. So there's two ways that I'm asking that question. How do you respond to Jesus? If you've already responded to being saved, that's awesome. If you haven't, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that in a little bit. If you've never accepted Jesus for who he is and, and been saved by him before, you've never accepted him into your heart, I'm going to give you that chance. If you have done that, but you are not responding to Jesus every day, you're not living for him every day, you're not following him every day I want to invite you guys to change that response tonight because again